are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. The Church is Christ's body. We are Christ's body. Individually, all members of it. It's one of the most significant and even transformative images for the church, and one for which we have Paul to thank. Now, using the image of the body was not original to Paul, for it appears in many of the Roman writings of the day as an image for the way that the society worked. What Paul has done, though, is to shift the image considerably. For where Roman orators would imagine the emperor as the head of the body, and then see a strong hierarchy of body parts, so to speak, Paul is insistent that it is Christ who's the head, and we are all members. He's equally insistent that these parts all are in need of one another, such that whether you are a hand and can do all of this visible work or are a spleen tucked deep inside and does whatever it is that a spleen does, all of us matter. Let me back up and offer some more general comments on the church in Corinth. Then why it is that Paul is so insistent on this image? Now it's important to bear in mind that Paul had planted the church in Corinth. He'd spent time with them there while they found their feet and began to make their way. And then he had gone on to plant another church community in a different city, leaving them there under their own local leadership. Somewhere along the line, things had begun to get a little bit bumpy in Corinth. And so some of the local church leaders, still very much in Paul's vision, had written to him and kind of laid out all of their questions and concerns. What we have in 1 Corinthians is Paul's letter back to the church. We don't have their letter to him, but we have his letter back. And it comes with his counsel, some very strong words, and fresh images like this one of the body. So let me give you a quick run through some of the sorts of issues that the Corinthian leaders have raised with him. A man is living in a common law relationship with his own stepmother and sees nothing wrong. People are looking to resolve their conflicts using the Roman courts rather than dealing with the problems internally and and looking to make peace. Some of the men in the Christian community have been going off to visit prostitutes and they are arguing that it is no more serious a thing than taking food to fill their stomachs. It's simply a a need, and, well, there's no condemnation now under grace. 
Some folks are buying food in the market that had been previously sacrificed to idols under the Roman system. That's making others in the community extremely anxious. Some people, when the church gathers in a home, arrive in good time, and they bring with them plenty of food and drink, which they indulge in a little too excessively, while others, probably enslaved people who are church folks, arrive late. They can't control their own schedules. And they don't have anything with them to eat or drink, so they are left to go without. Now, a lot of these issues that the leaders in Corinth are raising are related in a sort of upside-down way to a central theological teaching brought to Corinth by Paul, namely his core proclamation that we have been declared justified or set right with God, not by anything that we do, but by sheer grace. It is a gift. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, nothing you can do to make God love you less. This key Christian belief, however, was then taken by some to mean that it therefore doesn't matter what we do. We can do anything. That we are free, free to do anything. Because it's grace alone that puts us right with God. Well, as Paul responds to all of this, you can almost hear him sigh with frustration. All things are lawful, he writes, citing a common phrase in Corinth, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of others. That's from the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I think if you added, for heaven's sakes, people, to that verse, you'd really get his tone. For heaven's sakes, people, don't seek your own advantage here. Look to that of others. Well, by the time he's launched into the section of this letter that we read today, what he's trying to confront is the fact that many in the church in Corinth have created a nice hierarchy of spiritual gifts. Some people are claiming the top spots for their own particular gift, leaving others without any sense of their true value in the life of the community. So it is with Christ. Paul begins to write, grabbing this image of the body. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one, one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. In other words, no distinctions make any difference anymore. We are all made to drink of one spirit. And then at this point he launches into what can strike us as a slightly absurd set of images. And maybe he meant it to sound a wee bit absurd to the Corinthians. Right before we started tonight, we were talking about this imagery, Rob and I, and, and Rob said, you know, he, he sounds a little bit like Jerry Seinfeld. 
just building more and more absurdity out of this image of the body and trying to get people to kind of poke themselves and laugh at themselves and laugh at what he's saying or writing before he then digs in. If the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body, would it? Or, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? But, he then writes, as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. There are many members, but only one body. After this comes what is a rather extraordinary section and one which completely upends the way that the common Roman culture thought about the image of the body for the people. He writes, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. Our less respectable members are treated with greater respect whereas our more respectable members do not need this. What's he talking about? Well, all the parts of our bodies that we very carefully clothe and cover and protect, the parts related to sexuality and to digestion and all that follows digestion, Oh, and I suppose he's also pointing to those mysterious internal organs like the spleen that has been explained to me and I still don't get it. The vast majority of us don't have a clue about the spleen or much else that goes on inside us, but Paul calls all those parts indispensable and he is right. And so he continues. God has so arranged the body giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now do you see what he's doing, how he's pushing to have those members of the community in Corinth understand that what affects one person affects the whole community. If you've ever had a bad burn on your finger, it's the only thing you can think about. If your appendix ruptures and you don't get it dealt with, it costs your life. Like what's happening to one, whether it's an obvious or internal, impacts the whole. And they are called to have the same care one for another. He then turns to the matter of different roles or gifts in the life of the community, saying that, quote, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. He's not backing away from saying that there are different callings, gifts in the church, nor is he suggesting that there isn't a kind of an ordering to them, right? First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and so forth. But then he makes a crucial turn, and he asks, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, and so forth? 
which he ends with both a challenge and an invitation. He says, strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Those two sentences, I believe, have to be read in tandem. Strive for the greater gifts, but slow down for a moment because I want to show you an even more excellent way. And that's his transition towards his greatest reflection on the need for love, which is the whole of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's our reading next Sunday, but a wee little preview and you'll hear the connection he's making and where it's headed. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's just the opening verse. But his emphasis there on love, agape, it's clearly in view. And agape, one of four words for love in Greek, is sometimes referred to as divine love or godly love. But it's best to think in terms of an unconditional kind of love that is chosen and that will continue to be chosen regardless of circumstance. That's where Paul has been heading the Corinthian community the whole time. He's been talking about the body the foot, the eyes, the ears, the weaker parts, and the so-called less, so less respectable bits. He's been moving toward calling them away from distinctions and toward that love that will be the only thing that can bind them together. And that's agape. I really, really appreciate what N.T. Wright has to offer on verse 27 from today's reading, which reads, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And uh, Bishop Wright offers this. He says, These words should be engraved on the mind and heart of all church members. They should be especially taken to heart by those who are called to a more high-profile office or who have been given some special gift that, by thrusting them into the public eye, brings upon them the temptation to arrogance that was afflicting some in Corinth. You are Messiah's body. Individually, you're members of it. But together, you are it. That's the basis, Bishop Wright says, that's the basis of all true understandings of the church and of all humble service within it. You see, that's our identity, folks. That's who we are called to be and meant to be. Together, we are Messiah's body, individually members of it. As Paul would have it, that's a pretty key place to begin to deal with any disagreements or problems or hostilities or potential divisions any church might face. We're all in this together. We are and only can be a body together.
And so we are, and that keeps us honest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.